But hey, maybe this is just two cynical guys on a podcast talking about this. They got the sexy part in without the without any of the the protein. So it was like I got the I got the great sauce on on top of the steak, but they forgot the steak. Okay, you're hungry. I get it. <laughs> it can go tighter than that because the deck itself is not designed to. The deck is not the one that's going to initiate the wire transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Results Junkies podcast. The pitch decks have been coming in fast and furious over the past handful of days, and uh, I think Paul's got some ink in his pen this week, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Q4. Everybody's raising. Um, if I can get around to it, uh, I got assigned two Series A's today and uh, at least one seed. So, yeah. Yeah, lots of paperwork. Um, but yeah, it seems like uh, fundraising season. Everybody's trying to get it all done before the end of the year. And um, uh, I put a tweet out the other day about, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like the Series A is across the portfolio. Uh, it, everybody's, uh, you know, doing values or pre-monies at around 30 mil now. That seems like benchmark. But uh, maybe that's just observation bias. Maybe it's just what I'm seeing. Uh, yeah, just as a general side note, I think anybody who tries to close around you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas um, is to, you're just batshit crazy. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I, everybody talks about it. There's this huge rush and, and there's, and you know that in any sort of a sizable round, there's going to be at least one investor that drags their feet and it's never going to close between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, I mean, that, well, you know, that's the thing is like people, I think a lot of founders try to use the holidays as a scarcity tactic. Um, and, and that could go good or bad. And, but it's, it's an interesting kind of scarcity tactic people play. I, I think the thing is that there's this narrative out there that you got to like close the deal before August because everybody, you know, quote unquote, goes on vacation or you got to close the deal before the holidays because quote unquote, everybody's offline. Look, the truth of the matter is if the deal's good, it's going to happen, you know? And, and like, if you're going to do, if you're going to try to introduce scarcity into the deal or fear of missing out onto the deal, make it about the fundamentals of the deal or the um, the actual round closing quickly or getting committed quickly. But this false narrative of like, I got to get it done before December twenty second. You know, I I think it's just a <laughs> foolish mistake on founders' parts. Like it's one of those things where like you're playing a bluff. And the downside risk of getting called on that bluff is far higher <laughs> than than you realize. So uh, th that's a long way of saying don't don't uh, don't put like weird pressures on people uh, to to close by certain dates. It just doesn't work. Like that's not a that doesn't make anybody move faster. You, you work on the merits of the company or the merits of the the deal. Not let me just say it a different way. I I think that. You know, since the beginning of time, rounds are closed based on some combination of fear of missing out and greed. Like those are the two things and you just need to engineer for them. So let's, let's just stick to that. Like fear of missing out is, hey, this there's other investors that want this deal. I got to get into it before it's all committed. Um, you know, and greed is like, man, I got to get in at this point because there's so much more upside. Like focus on those levers and less on, hey, uh, you know, I'm really trying to get this round done by August 3rd or whatever. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really want to finish work by four, but that's not anybody else's concern. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, and I I had a weird slash annoying one yesterday. Um, and I, I'll, I'll I'll anonymize it a bit because we're still waiting on some answers back from them. Uh, and so so maybe I'm off base on a couple things. Uh, but before I dig into that, too, I, you know, just a reminder to folks. Um, you know, if you like the show, the biggest thing you could do to help us is uh, give us a you know, rating and review wherever you're listening and hit that subscribe button so that you guys get the episodes as soon as they are uh, uploaded. Well, uh, and, each, and, each and share week. this with at least one other person, like share it with one other person. Two. Uh, fine. Two. Why, fine. Just, why just one, man? Come on. It's Christmas time. It's holiday season. I like that season. you ain't big. I like that you ain't big. Um, and if you guys have questions, you can shoot us questions at uh, show at resultsjunkies.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. He is at Paul Singh, and I am at Pizza in Motion. Um, so, I, I, you know, I want to talk about these two decks that we're both working on. But before that, it's, you know, just an aside, a company that we were looking at, it was like, you know, there are a couple of things that were just a little bit squirrely. Like, first off, the deck didn't have any metrics which we're going to get to on one of the other ones that we're talking about but it was like you know they're like they're raising around um and then but i can't find anything online about a previous round that they say they closed and there's just like bridge round in between and like you know crunch base angel list no press press releases any of that stuff and so like there's there's very little out there that seems to indicate that they raised money before and that's like that's always this like like, you know, there's just a weird, like, creepy feeling when those things come up. And, like, you know, say, you know, many times, not maybe not most, but many times when that happens, like, things work out and there was a round and money was raised and maybe a press release didn't go out or whatever. But it just, I don't know. I mean, I just think in today's day and age where there's so many companies starting up, I think I think you've got to do a little bit of social proof if you're a founder to to have those breadcrumbs out there for for people to follow that show that you're, you know, a growing company that's continuing to raise money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I like to tell founders is that you should prepare to fundraise. Um, so, so the question I like to ask founders is, is, if I told you you were not allowed to talk to any investors within 250 miles, what would you do different? And when I really get founders to start talking about that, you know, they come, they, they start to recognize exactly what you just said. Like, you know, if, if I'm not pitching somebody that knows, you know, my town or my place, like, like I have to assume that that other person doesn't know anything about me, our traction doesn't have any connections to my community. Yep. So, so yeah, I mean, like for, for founders, you, you should approach the preparation of fundraising as if you had a constraint that said you cannot talk to somebody within a 250 mile radius of, of home. And so, yeah. I mean, I, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Cause like the hardest part about investing everywhere else is, you know, reference checking everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think people feel like there's so many companies out there now. There's so much fundraising going on. I think they just feel like it's, I think some founders feel like just saying that you're raising is enough uh, without having to check the other boxes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you also bring up this point, um, uh, that, you know, I think you talked about this idea of like, you know, did you raise the money and all that stuff? Like, I, I think, you know, it's really important for founders. If you got the facts, like make sure it's in there. People shouldn't have yeah. to dig for that stuff. Right before we hit the record button, why, why don't you talk about that where, you know, somebody talked about their profit margins. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And we're, we're going to anonymize this a bit, but these are some decks that we've we've been seeing recently. And it was... You know, it was a metric in it and it and it was um, you know, X percent profit margin on one of the items that um that they happened to sell. 
um, for the year, but it didn't actually list um, how many they sold, what the velocity was. So like, was it, is the business ramping up? Is the business ramping down? And I think my comment to you was, you know, it's great to understand that they had a profit margin on that item. Um, did they sell one? Did they sell seven, 700, 7,000? You know, like was the one to their mom? Uh, you know, it's just, it's, um, I, I understand that the, the, like the number they put in for profit margin was sexy. And so they got the sexy part in without, uh, without any of the the protein, so it was like I got the I got the great sauce on on top of the steak, but they forgot the steak. Okay, you're hungry. I get it. So but, <laughs> hang on. So, but like, let me let me ask you this: that that deck, were you looking at that deck in the context of do I want to take a call with these this this person, or were you looking oh. at that deck as like a follow up to that first call? No, I was looking at it in terms of like sh- you know sh- should should I be coming in with you on writing a check and and you know should should I be spending some time talking to these folks and I yeah, yeah. I scrolled and 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 then finally found metrics. Yeah, and I think and I think the, the 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 reason I teed you up on that is for people listening to this. You know, the thing is, you have to assume. Unfortunately, you have to assume that that deck is going to determine a lot more then you realize like it's going to determine whether you take the call. Like, let's just be clear about that deal without naming names. You would not have done that investment if I hadn't vouched for it. Like if you had, if that deck had been sent to you, there's no way you would have done it. Uh, And and frankly, if it was sent to me, I wouldn't have done it either. Uh, You know, this is a founder that I've been talking to every two weeks for three months now, you know? So, but, but I guess the real lesson here for, for founders or anybody really thinking about raising money is that, um, you have to, you have, whatever you give somebody has to be easy to consume in a vacuum. Like, like if you're going to put something in there, it's got to have context. Otherwise you might as well leave it out. Uh, I think your other gripe with this one was, you know, that, um, the metrics, despite the fact they weren't complete, they were also buried 22 slides into this deck. Yeah, I mean, There's really think- no excuse for that. No, and to your point, like you should be, if you're sending out a deck, you should be sending out a deck like you're never going to get to explain it to someone. And this is this is one of these decks where it's like, you know, hey, Paul, hey, Ed, great to have you on the phone today. Why don't you open up the deck and I'm going to tell you a story. Um, and I understand that, that like that's what some angel investors want. Um, I totally get that. But I think like, you know, when you think about it, just in terms of how I got this deck, I got it from you. And so in that context, it's like, well, you know, this founder doesn't get to explain the deck to me. So it really should stand on its own. And it's like, as you said, you know, I had to go 20 plus slides in to really get to, to get to the meat. And, you know, sometimes I will say like, you know, we, we always talk about front loading the metrics. Um, and I will say like, I, you know, I, it doesn't, it doesn't completely annoy me if there's a slide or two about who they are and what they do and stuff like that. But, um, but you really need to get to the meat and potatoes uh, you know, up front, especially, and uh, gosh, how many times have you and I said this on the tour? And I, I, I'm not stealing it because I think you're the one that said it first. It's like, if you really are one of the companies that actually has revenue, you need to lead with that because there's so many companies that don't. So I, I need to know in the first, you know, two minutes of us sitting down that that you have you have actual customers paying for your product. Yeah. I mean, look, this concept applies even if you're not raising money. I mean, whether you're pitching your boss on a, you know, a proposal or you're, you're, you know, recruiting somebody or you're trying to get press. I mean, this concept still applies to all those things. You know, the, the more you make somebody try to figure out what you're trying to tell them, the less likely it's going to happen. So just put it out there. You're competing for attention. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, so, so yeah. So again, I, like I, the reason I think this is an interesting topic is selfishly, hopefully the pitches that we get will somehow get better. Although 10, 12 years into this, they haven't gotten better. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm a little cynical there, but I think this concept applies to far more than just founders. And I think it's applicable to, you know, everybody else's careers and their, their lives and stuff like that. Like it's your responsibility. Like if somebody once said to me, uh, well, actually one of my old business partners said to me probably a little over 10 years ago, he said, uh, look, when, when the other party doesn't understand you or they're not paying attention, it's your fault. It's not theirs. Yeah. You know, it's not their fault that they're worried about the kids or checking their phone or whatever. It's your fault because you weren't interesting. You didn't articulate something in a way that resonated with them. So figure it out. Uh, well, you, and you, you, you just touched on it there. One of the things that I remember you saying all the time when we were on, on, on tour uh, was, you know, you're not, you're not even necessarily, as a founder, you're not necessarily even competing with the next startup. Um, you're competing with the next text or email that the investor gets on their phone. I think that's a very astute observation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it, right? You're, everything you're doing, you have to re-earn attention. Like, you have to earn the attention of the other party almost every 30 seconds. And it, you could argue uh, it shouldn't be that way, but unfortunately it is. You might as well just embrace it and really start to think about that in the context of fundraising, PR, recruiting, team building, you know, whatever, you know? Uh, so anyway, I like, yeah, it's been a good week for, for investments. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I'm the bottleneck on a lot of these things. Unfortunately, I think there's probably more good stuff out there. I just need to figure out how to clone myself, but we'll get uh, there. Don't, don't we all, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I just want to say like, you know, to, to your point about, um, good stuff out there, like, a quick high level on on um, on deck number two because um, I, like I say I think this is I think this hits much closer to where where I like to see stuff you know slide one has you know name of the company and 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 immediately identifies you know where they're you know what what vertical they're in and in this case it's you know in in the, in the medical space let's say uh, we'll keep it keep it somewhat generic um, you know slide two is the problem um, you know slide three is a little bit more of the problem. Um, and then, uh, by the time I get to slide five, I have, you know, how much it costs to use their product, what their commission is, what their, um, you know, how many accounts they have, where they expect their revenue to go, um, you know, and, and their, and their MRR, like, you know, like, boom, five, six slides in, I've got, you know, not everything, but I've got, now I've got enough to set my plate. Well, I got something to say, but f finish your thought there. No, I did. Seth, go ahead. Oh, Tr throw, well, like, throw, me, throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, I mean, look, I don't disagree, by the way, that that's a great format, but, you know, open question for the community. Like, why did, why, how is that, like, my favorite pitch deck that I ever funded was probably 10 years ago, and I talk about it a lot, but I wish more people would just do it. Um, I don't want to say the name because uh, until that founder actually publishes it, um, but it's a well-known company and, and all that stuff. Anyway, I'll never forget the day I met this person, he literally just slid one piece of paper across the table. So we sat down, you know, hey, uh, thanks for meeting me. You know, I'm glad so-and-so made the intro. I'm raising money. Um, he's like, listen, before we get into it all, let me just show you something. And he just slid a piece of paper across the, the table, the coffee table. And on it was a bunch of logos. He said, okay, these logos, these, these companies pay me right now. 
Uh, and I was like, well, what, yeah, wait, wait, what do you mean? And he said, well, but we'll get there. And then he flipped it over and he said, these logos are at the tail end of our pipeline. I think that we will get some or all of these over the finish line, you know, over the next six to nine months. And then it became a conversation because now he had framed it. There was no other pitch deck. I mean, after that second meet or after that meeting, he did, he was like, yeah, I'll send you a PDF of the full deck and you can look at it. But for that coffee meeting, it, it still sticks with me today that, you know, he, he knew exactly what, like he wasn't romantic about it. He didn't talk about this. Like he just led with it. He just, this is how, who pays me. This is who I'm going after. And now if that's interesting, he just shaped the entire conversation around that. Uh, so yeah, I wish more people did that. Like I, like I don't have any issue with that 10 slide deck you just talked about. I, I really don't. Hell, if more people did just yeah. that, <laughs> the world would be a little bit better. Um, but I guess what I'm just trying to say oh, is, God, yeah. you can go even tighter than that. It doesn't have to be 10, you know, it could be three. Um, cause the deck is the, the thing that frames the conversation. It doesn't, doesn't, nope. I don't, I don't know of anybody that's ever looked at a deck and said, you know what? I'm in like, that just doesn't happen anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably actually, you know, this is probably, we'll go a little segue here or a little sideways here, but like, I suppose this is why accelerators are still important to some extent. I think accelerators are the modern day business school, particularly for, you know, venture funded businesses. Um, but, but even then you still don't see like a standardized or, or like you still see bad pitches in 2021. And it's, it's just strange to me. I just don't, I just don't get it. Yeah. I feel like at this point, um, you know, there's so many companies out there and there's so many decks that, as you alluded to, it's like you you should be looking for a way to stand out and not that you shouldn't have a standard deck. Don't get me wrong. But to your point, you know, how many years ago was that presentation that you talked about where he just showed you the logos? 2010. Yeah. That company's public now. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's 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 over a decade later and that still sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think those are the things that you want as a, if you want to stand out as a founder. Uh, and fundraiser, yeah. you know, you you need to find a way to differentiate yourself among the sea of all, like, it, it, of all these, you know, maybe not all inferior decks, but but lots of you know, lots of lots of uh, fatty material as opposed to just giving us the lean stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, this company is a public company now, and there's no doubt it's a very complex company. But I, you know, the thing about the thing that sticks with me from that presentation, and and I kind of I think implicitly applied to all my investments going forward was even though his business is incredibly complex and in some cases operates in regulated spaces and things like that, uh, he wasn't romantic about how he made his money. He needed, uh, you know, when you think about the strategy of that company, the first year or two, he needed some, some, uh, to focus in on closing big clients, big recognizable clients, because he was betting that those recognizable clients would allow him to go down into the mid market and and beyond, and I appreciated the fact that he was so unromantic about it. Like he had a conviction. Like I, you know, maybe I would have disagreed with his plan, but he he clearly articulated what he believed in, and you know that's what you know that's what what I bet on. Um, so anyway, I, I I think like I guess the point of all that is is that you know. Yes, they should reduce those decks down into the 10 slide version. I mean, just doing that would be way better. But 
it can go tighter than that because the deck itself is not designed to, the deck is not the one that's going to initiate the wire transfer, <laughs> <laughs> right? The deck is really going to frame the conversation. And the unfortunate cliche here is, is like the deck is probably the single most important way that we as investors get insight into how you think and what you put in that deck kind of tells us what you think is important and what you leave out of that deck kind of tells us what you don't think is important. Um, and I think if you just approach it that way, maybe, maybe that'll give you some ideas, but, uh, again, I don't want to make it only about fundraising. I, I really think this principle or this idea is applicable to everything else. You know, again, whether you're talking to your boss or your press or whatever, like don't make people think just they're busy. Just, just give it, just tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I want to pivot for just a second because, you know, when you and I were talking before we recorded, you were talking about something that you're, you're uh, another round that you're getting ready to sign off on, a follow-on investment uh, for a company in, in your portfolio. Um, and I, I think it'd be interesting for you just to share with, uh, you know, with the audience, you know, what it was that led you to speed that one up and why you, you know, as you said, you know, sort of that fear of missing out, like, hey, I, I need to be in this, and I need to be in this in a bigger way. Well, with both of those companies, they're they're raising. Uh, with both of those companies, both in the Midwest, uh, they are both raising. Um, I believe five to six million dollar rounds. Uh, now, for a little bit of context for the audience, like you know, Ed and I are individual investors. We're not, you know, we're not a fund of outside money or anything like that. We are, you know, individuals. You know, we're angels. You know, the, very very clearly. So, for us, like. You know, we're a lot of our early stage investing is in that seed stage, you know, early stage. But particularly in that question you just asked, we, these two Series A's, these founders are in the Midwest. They're closing five to six million dollars each. And, you know, what made us move quickly was that uh, they had found both of them had separately found leads that were going to put in half the money. So this is very common at a Series A is that at a Series A level, it's really atypical for angels like me and Ed to to lead that. You know, we might write a check for 25 or 50k in that first round. We might write a check for 250 or 500 in that second round, you know, and, and increasingly go up from stuff like that. Like we're we're uh we're great at like filling out the back end of that round. And what ends up happening with series A's is that once you find that lead, that institutional lead often at that size, then it's a race for the angels to get as the get the allocations as fast as they can. So the blunt answer to your question is as soon as the the lead had issued a term sheet, the 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 clock starts ticking, and then this is where relationships matter. And you know, I'm 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 really just the founder has no obligation to really let me invest more, but because of the way portfolio returns work, right. I want to get more. Right. So the forcing function really was the scarcity of the round. The leads took half of each of those rounds. A clock was triggered. The founder started the investing. Uh, roadshow, you know, via email. And it was just like, okay, well, we got to make a decision quick, get the allocation and, and, and close. So fear of missing out, you know, there's, there's a finite amount of room on that cap table and you gotta, you gotta get it. Th this, by the way, I don't know if you want to talk about this now, but this is like, I think one of the most misunderstood parts of our strategy. You know, when you look at like, you know, quote unquote, traditional venture capital as most people know it, um, what they probably know, if they know anything about it at all, is that, you know, air quotes, traditional venture capital is about 
write a check, buy 30% of the company, and wait a couple of years, question mark, and maybe you profit. <laughs> like, I, I, it really, it's about starting big and then just kind of holding that position through. That works for big firms, you know, uh, but for angels like you and me, um, I, I think one of the most misunderstood parts of our strategy is, is like why we do what we do. Like, why do we say we want to do hundreds of deals a year? Why do we want to do that? Well, because as angels, like, look, if we knew who the winners were in advance, I, why would I do 200 deals? I just do like 20 and <laughs> pile drive into those. Right. But the problem is yeah. the best deals are very competitive. And, um, and so the idea here really is that while people look at, for example, my strategy and they're like, Hey, this guy's investing in a lot of companies every year. Da, da, da. They think that's the cool part. They miss the entire point of it. You know, we're, we might write a 25 or 50K check into the seed round of lots of companies. And yes, that's cool. Yes, that like does make us some money over the long term. But really where you maximize the returns is starting to pile drive into the subset of that portfolio that, 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 that is moving up the stack. And here's the uncomfortable truth. Uh, that first check is an option call to the next round, right? By the time, so let's just use these two founders or these two separate companies in the Midwest. They are respectively, the first company is about 600 miles from DC. The second company is about a thousand miles from DC, right? And had I not been in those early rounds, how in the world would I know that that series A was happening, you know, out there? And B, even if I did, how would I even get on that cap table right. knowing how fast the series A's tend to move once the lead has signed the check or signed the term sheet? And so that's the thing. So for angels here, this is like, I'm not saying every angel has to do what you and I do, but I do think that it's fair state. It's a fair statement to say that most angels, if you really put them behind closed doors and ask them what their strategy is, they probably can't clearly articulate it. Like we are portfolio constructors you know, deal selection is just part of the game, but we are portfolio constructors and then, you know, uh, capital allocators, right? We, we are constructing a portfolio based on lots of early stage investments, but then we become capital allocators and we're pile driving into the subset of the portfolio that continues to go on to the next level. Um, and we're able to use that model to generate market beating internal rates of return on paper, but also really good total value paid in, right? I mean, just like the same metrics VCs use. Anyway, I went on a tangent there, but I guess all that to say that, I, you know, founders, I think founders like totally misunderstand what that deck's for. And they also misunderstand, you know, sort of the business of investing. And maybe it's our responsibility to talk about it. But I also think given the YouTube videos out there and uh, the live streams from 500 and YC and all that stuff, like there's no excuse for bad pitches. There's no excuses for not knowing how our business models work. Anyway, let me let me pause there. We just we did a whole show, I think, on on fundraising now, but uh, which is which is good. <laughs> um, and I think you know, to your point, like when you stitch all this together, you've got you know, as a, as a as an angel investor, you know that that initial check, you know, typically that first round, a lot of smaller checks and a lot of convincing of of folks mm -hmm. like us that mm -hmm. um that it's time to you know time to commit, if you will. Um, and so, as you say, the deck is like critically important uh, for the for that piece. And so, you know, uh, and that initial meeting and, and all that information, like critically important to get the, the 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 investor engaged. And then, 
to your point about the speed with which you have to get in on round number two, um, you know, there, I mean, like in, in that first round, our, our biggest proving points are getting to know the founder and understanding what they're trying to shoot for. And maybe there's some insight into relationships they have or early contracts or stuff like that. But one of the biggest proof points of round two is, you know, some outside VC offered to give them $3 million at a higher valuation. It was like, okay, well, this is this is a, a very large proof point for us that they are, not that they're going to be successful, but they are they are, you know, heading in the right direction. They are, you know, they, they are, they're directionally oriented. Well, they've attracted a much larger institution. I mean, that there's a, there's a signal in that. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that, uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this, but people don't realize how important of a signal it is when an institution signs on. Um, so, uh, you know, for any of the lawyers listening, you're going to hate me for saying it this way, but let me just say it anyway. <laughs> Look, the biggest difference between an angel and a VC is really not only whose money it is, right? An angel is, you know, your own and yep. a VC is, even if there's one penny of somebody else's money in there, you've got to register as a VC. But why this is important is this concept of fiduciary duty. You know, you and I as angels, Ed, you know that we can choose to invest or not invest for any reason. And we don't owe an answer to anybody other than ourselves about that. VCs, on the other hand, for better or for worse, and this is where people might not like the way I say this, but VCs have fiduciary duty. I mean, I had fiduciary duty when I when I was, uh, you know, actively involved at 500 day to day. And you have an obligation to deploy money if, you know, you found something that that could hit the, uh, that aligns with your mandate. Like, right. like, that's the important bit there. Like, you have, you have a duty to deploy. Um, and, and so for founders, I mean, I think that people don't understand that, uh, you know, they, sometimes they'll say things like, oh, I pitched that firm and they just don't get it. It's like, no, look, they're, they're registered. If they're managing other people's money, they're registered. That is not an easy thing to do. Like, let's call a spade a spade here. You pitched something that did not fit their fund economics. It is what it is. Own it. Like you could say, if, if, if you pitched me or Ed and you're like, man, they don't get it, you can like call us out because what do we know, right? It could have just been a bad day. It could have been, yeah. I could have been like, you know, underrested, right? Like call me out, hold me accountable. Yeah, maybe I'm an idiot. But like, don't blame the VC. I mean, they, 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 they didn't, they have a duty that they actually have to like register. They're, they're subject to audits, they're, right? So here's the whole point of this. When, when we, when you and I see a portfolio company that we seed invested, you know, often with five or 10 other people, and we might've put in 25 or 50 K alongside five or 10 other people that did the same thing, you know, and now we've helped that company raise 500 K or a million dollars. Like when, when that company comes back to you sometimes as quickly as six months later and says, Hey, Listen, we uh, have we have a duty to inform you that we've signed a term sheet with such and such, you know, venture firm. Da da da. Well, that's a huge signal, right? That's yeah. a huge signal for you and me. Um, and, but it's also a huge signal for the market. Um, and so, all, all that to say, by the way, that like you know, I have a trick question that I like to ask all new investors, both VCs and angels, and I, it sort of gives me a little idea of like how they think. And I always ask people when they start investing again, VC or angel, I say. Uh, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you have? Like, what do you have that's, uh, differentiated? Why should somebody take your money over somebody else's? Like what, what makes you different? 
and then often they'll just kind of hem and haw and whatever. And ultimately, they'll always give me one of three answers. They'll say, well, it's about capital, deal flow, or judgment. They'll say, oh, we have all this money, capital, our, our money, we're, we're here, you know? Uh, or they'll say, deal flow, like I know everybody, right? And then, or they'll say, judgment. I've seen enough of these things to make deals and or know which ones are good. And it's a trick question because I sort of set them up to fail. And what I say, what I usually then say is like, hey, look, <laughs> like uh, it doesn't, you know, my opinion doesn't matter. I, I get that. But let me just kind of throw an idea out there. Capital deal flow and judgment are table stakes. They're not differentiators. My money's as green as yours on the capital side. The, 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 the you know, deal flow, like there's no proprietary deal flow anymore. I mean, in an age where you got Twitter and, you know, social platforms and stuff, there's no proprietary deal flow. Uh, and judgment. I mean, come on, anybody can get good, good judgment. Just show them enough deals. The differentiator is access. If 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 the potentially fund returning or portfolio returning founders don't even know that you exist and or aren't willing to give you the time of day, it doesn't matter how much money you have or deal flow or capital, like you'll never get in. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it's tricky. Um, Anyway, if, if anybody's listened to this, if nothing else, we've sort of defined the simplicity of, you know, understanding what the purpose of your real deck is, but the complexity of our business as well. <laughs> and hopefully, like, try to get you to, like, navigate that a little bit better. But uh, I guess all that to say, by the way, I think that if more founders knew how you and I, angels like you and I, made money in this, I would like to think that the pitches would be better. Because then they wouldn't tell us stuff that is irrelevant. Yeah. You know? Um, but hey, maybe this is just two cynical guys on a podcast talking about this. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think between the two of us, we probably see thousands of pitch decks every year. Yeah. And like, I don't know, you know, despite if you can look past the cynicism here, there are patterns that exist. And, and unfortunately, they are there. And I think that if founders can recognize that and accept it, you can kind of play that game too. Well, and I don't even view it as cynicism. I think the whole goal is to get people funded. You and I both both say that so frequently. And these are these are tips to help to help folks get funded. And, and it's you know this certainly won't be the last time you and I talk about about pitch decks and 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 founders and how to get how to get investments. But um, but I think we got I think we I think we chewed on this one pretty good for now. I'd, I'd love to come back to this one again. Maybe when we get a few more decks that give us um, you know. Uh, give us some 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 tasty morsels to discuss. That that can be what we tackle next time. I tell you what, if uh, if you're listening this far into the episode and you're you want us to look at your deck, uh, email it to show at resultsjunkies.com. It's only going to stay between me and Ed. It's not going to get posted anywhere. But what I, here's a commitment I'll make: we will privately give you direct feedback via email on the deck as two investors looking at that deal. Uh, but uh, if you're okay with it, we'll ask your permission first. We'd love to talk about the deck on the show. We'll we'll sort of like bleep out your name, but maybe talk about sort of the things you did well and the things you didn't. Uh, again, won't name you publicly or anything like that, but if you're up for it, you want a pitch deck review, email it to show at Results Junkies and we'll make it happen. Love it. No naming and shaming, just, uh, just good feedback. <laughs> and maybe, hey, maybe an investment. Maybe, maybe. We're always <laughs> looking to, we're always looking to throw some money around. All right, man. Well, uh, I think that's a show. Um, Good seeing you again. Good seeing you, man. I love doing this every week. I feel like I get my biggest ideas uh, shooting the breeze with you. So hopefully we give the audience the same feeling too. Yep. And just remind people, show at resultjunkies.com. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating and a review. He is at Paul Singh on all the platforms. And I am at 
pizza in motion. All right, buddy. See you soon. See ya.